Hey everyone, you're listening to episode number 111 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about why self-love just brings on more stress, goals and aspirations in a larger body, behaviors and feelings around binging, what happens when you stop dieting, how keto melds with self-acceptance and discernment and how we navigate all that and so much more. Today's guest is Jess Baker and she, although she doesn't know it, <laughs> has been quite pivotal in my entire life. I've read both of her books. And when I read her first book, Things No One Will Tell Fat Girls, it completely changed my outlook on my body, my life, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations. And getting to sit down with Jess, not not only just chat with her, but also be able to do a video chat with her was just like, probably one of the highlights of my entire life. She is such a kind, wonderful soul. And I know when you listen to today's episode, you are probably going to love it as much as I do. Something that Jess wrote in her first book that has stuck with me this entire time is that health at every size is about healthy behaviors. And when I heard that, oh man, it was great. So you can grab today's podcast extra by heading on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E111. Two cool things I got to share with you. Today is a body positive episode, and we've actually done a bunch of body positive self-acceptance episodes in the past. So if you're like, dang, I love this conversation. I want more of this. Head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E111, and we'll include links to all of our other or my favorite body acceptance episodes from the past. Also, second cool thing is that you'll notice in the audio recording of today's podcast that Jess and I mentioned video quite a few times. And that's because if you're a member of our Keto Unlimited community, you get video recordings of all of our Sunday episodes that include me and the guests chatting. All of it is unedited. So if there are things that happen throughout the recording, which is generally a, a thing, you'll get to experience all of that. And it's also ad-free. So you can watch the episodes without ads and it just hits the ground running with the interview. You can find out more by going to theketounlimited.com, become a member for just a couple dollars a month, and you can get that plus a whole bunch more. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, and heal your body. Starting and maintaining keto can be challenging without the right support. So just for listening to the podcast, I want to give you 20% off the keto beginning with the coupon code keto podcast. That's all one word. This 30 day program gives you a clear step by step how to so you can quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles and get the results you crave. Go to healthfulpursuit.com slash begin to get your keto beginning discount today. If you're new around these parts, I'm Leanne Vogel. You may know me as the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of happyketobody.com, or maybe you know me as the nutritionist that likes dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thanks so much for listening. Hey. 
As I mentioned previously, Jess Baker is our guest today, who's a positive, progressive, and magnificently irreverent force to be reckoned with, who preaches the importance of body autonomy, self-love, mental health, strong coffee, and even stronger language. Let's cut over to the interview. Hey, Jess, how's it going? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Uh, like I said, before we started recording, you are just amazing. And I am so thrilled to be able to have a video conversation with you even. Crazy. <laughs> I would only get up at six in the morning for you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's so early. <laughs> no, no, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. Okay. okay. Amazing. <laughs> um, I like to start off the episode with our guests by asking um, the specific question, and that is, what does self-acceptance mean to you? Which is a really good question. I like that you use self-acceptance. So I have been working with body image, which includes a lot of things, right? It includes mental health, which I have a, a work, long work history in. Includes, so it includes your brain and your body and your life and everything, the way you participate in the world, ultimately. And so in the very beginning, I really had this focus of, of, of body love. So I, I'm very particular about words now you know, six plus years later. And uh, now I kind of use the word bot like body liberation, but I think acceptance is a really beautiful world word and self-acceptance is really beautiful. And the difference for me between body love and uh, body liberation is kind of the onus on the person and the responsibility to achieve a certain like love marker. So like when we leave uh, diet culture, which for me, diet culture is what is seen as normal to us. Um, it's following a restrictive plan to lose weight, to become more desirable, to find self-worth in our bodies. And when we leave that, it makes sense that instead of, you know, we grow up, most of us, it's really hard to think of someone I've met out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that like didn't grow up with self-loving because that's just so normal when we leave that it's it's obviously like we we've been hating our bodies for so long that we want to love them um and it seems like kind of a obviously better right <laughs> but what can happen and i've just seen this happen for me and so many people is when we say body love we then like kind of replace our obsession with hate of hating with with trying to love and i don't feel like that's a requirement any longer to live your best life i don't believe you need to love your body in order to live your best life liberation is what i ultimately believe in which is releasing yourself of expectations altogether um, you can't fail at liberation you could totally fail at body love, right? If you're like, oh, I don't love my body. And I feel like I'm failing at this thing that's supposed to be releasing me of, of all of that uh, pressure. So body liberation is where I live. And I think that self-acceptance is the whole picture of that. It includes body liberation. It includes embracing who you are as a whole human. And acceptance feels like kind of a neutral word. And I really love that. Like, I feel like there's a a million different ways to, to have self-acceptance and it looks different for everyone. I think it comes with just acknowledging that we're all different, that we're all unique and that we're all okay 
like oh I didn't never asked you are you are we allowed to swear on your podcast yeah yes okay, <laughs> words come slower if I have to filter out all of the yeah. <laughs> so embracing who you fucking are as you are and that doesn't mean that you can't have like goals or aspirations or things you want to improve in your life that is a whole other thing but self-acceptance is like, okay, this is me. And I think self-acceptance also comes not necessarily by doing things that the act of doing things to create a you that you really want to become, but it also comes from stripping back layers of things that you've been taught that you are not. Um, and so self-acceptance is, oh my God, that's like such a loaded question for the first one. I know. There's everything to say about self-acceptance. But ultimately, um, I think it's just acknowledging that we're all different and that we're all unique and special and embracing that from just a very basic standpoint. That was rambly. Did it make sense? Yes, it totally did. And okay. really, I, I like that you pointed out the self-love piece because when when I was first getting started in this and dabbling in the whole thing and working with Summer Inanin, who was my coach for a while and really delving deep into what is this all about? And I, I'm, I'm just so sick of being in the space of constantly stressing about how my body looks, how I show up in the world with my body, using my body as a currency to getting what I want or don't want in life. And stressing so much about every morsel of food, like everything I was eating or wasn't eating. And when I heard self-love, it stressed me out because that was one more thing I had to do perfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And especially when it comes to bodies, you know, like we of course have some control, but we also don't have control. And statistically, this is really important for people to know. And it's something I wrote about in Things I Won't Tell Fat Girls. 95% of women do not have the body naturally that we see presented as ideal in media. So 5% are born with the body naturally and 95 do not and will never have this traditionally idolized body. And that is so important for people to know because we are told the opposite kind of of what that statistic means. We're told that if you don't have that five, that what the, 5% can naturally have. Uh, we're told that if you don't have that, it's just because you're not working hard enough and it's on you. And that could not be more false. I mean, biologically and very, like there's a lot of research to back this up. Diversity is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like bodies look different and, you know, you know, a hundred people could follow the exact same um, movement and diet and life plan and we would still all look different. So yeah, I mean, we, there's some things we can't control and spending so much energy. That's how the diet culture industry makes its money is constantly trying to reach this unattainable goal. And it's such a waste of, of precious, we've limited precious energy that we could be using elsewhere. Yes, totally. When I, when I realized that in order to look like the people in media that I would have to cut off three inches of my hip bone that kind of put things into perspective sure. <laughs> you know it's like yeah I, I'm, I can't lose a hip so this isn't gonna happen for me <laughs> yeah right and it looks different for everyone but absolutely yes. yeah mm -hmm. completely it all looks different for everyone back to today's episode in a sec 
So I move my body a lot and I go through a lot of different leggings because I just don't like wearing pants. They feel really awkward on my stomach and my legs and I am able to wear tights all the time. So I feel like I'm like a tights aficionado because I wear I don't even think I can't even tell you the last time I wore actual pants and living on a sailboat and just like moving all the time and doing yoga as much as I do and just all the physical activity. It's just really nice to have tights and to be able to wear tights and some things that frustrate me about tights are ones that roll down when I move and I'm always like pulling them up Um, materials that are really, really thin. And you when you squat down, you can see through my pants, that is like an ongoing struggle. And also tights that don't have pockets. So like, where the heck do I put my phone? And I can't tell you how many times I've almost dropped my phone in a lake or a river or an ocean or on a dock or you see the pattern I like to drop my phone a lot and (laughs) without pockets it makes it so much easier to drop your phone and when you wear tights like what are you supposed to do and underwear lines that's another big issue and so I was looking around for another leggings option and that's when I found Fabletics now I've only tried their leggings so we're just talking about leggings here and I love them because they aren't see-through they actually stay up their high-waisted waists are actually high and there are pockets pockets to like fit a cell phone and a bunch of credit cards too they don't show underwear lines and their power hole leggings don't show underwear lines so I can wear whatever I want under my leggings and nobody will know which is what should happen so I'm really excited about this company if you haven't already heard about Fabletics you should just head on over to fabletics.com slash keto fill out the style quiz and make your first order become a VIP and you're gonna get two leggings for $24 and each month as a VIP you receive an exclusive email highlighting the new styles added to the site you can skip that month's order so you're not charged anything or make an order and save up to 50% on the new looks so what you got to do is get two tights for 24 bucks now you're a VIP yay you just saved like $50 now every month they're gonna send you an email and you can either opt into it buy a bunch of stuff or say no thanks and then not get charged anything I have a lot of tights now because of this <laughs> so be warned they're all awesome and you might be wondering which leggings are my favorite probably my all-time favorite well right now I don't know it changes a lot but I really really like my sculpt knit high-waisted mesh capri I got the ones in black and they're so flattering and they fit my hips wonderfully my leggings stay up They haven't gotten baggy in the crotch and they're not see-through when I bend over or just walking down the street. Plus there's little dots everywhere and they kind of make me feel like a mermaid and that's pretty cool. So you can get your leggings today too for $24 by going to fabletics.com slash keto. Okay, back to today's episode. You mentioned um, goals and aspirations and I think people get health at every size or body acceptance and the work that you do confuse with the fact, and I'm sure you get this so many times. So I'm, I'm giving up on life and my goals so that I can be fat. Like, I'm sure you get that a lot. And that was a belief that I had for a really long time of like, I can't, I can't have goals or aspirations. I just need to be, and that'll just be a blob on the couch. Can we go into the belief system around that and, and the fear that's happening there and the story? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, like we could talk for maybe 20 hours about that. <laughs> if we wanted to really dive in it. Yeah. There is that um, belief and, and that just comes from, from two things. Uh, one, not really understanding what health at every size or, or intuitive eating or body trust. There's a lot of things combined within that, um, what that entails, what it means. And also just, you know, having absorbed a lifelong uh, belief that if you're not restricting and punishing we call, we believe like as a society that punishing ourselves is like inspirational. That's what we need to be doing. And if we're not, then, then we're, we're just the most worthless pieces of shit ever. So um, it comes from internalized fat phobia. We're afraid of, of being fat. Fat phobia affects everyone. Of course, it affect, affects fat people differently in that, you know, fat people have a incredibly biased healthcare, meaning they don't get actual treatment because they're seen as their body size first and foremost. Uh, there's a lot of components to our body besides the size and the weight. And it also affects, you know, the thinnest person in the world and everyone in between because we're so obsessed with not becoming that because it's seen as the ultimate failure in life. So fat phobia and not understanding what health at every size and that concepts around it mean or why that reaction is just so common. Health at every size is simple in its ideology, but very hard to live also. It's very complicated. You know, I, I'm very familiar with it. Um, it's for, for those who may not know, it's backed up by a fuck ton of research that was not funded by diet companies, uh, which a lot of research that we see around fatness, and I hate the word obesity because it's just pathologizing, but that's what they use. So um, a lot of research around obesity is privately funded by diet companies. So Health at Every Size is backed up by very non-biased, actually, uh, research and is really quite amazing. And what it what it does essentially is it takes us back to our roots as human beings. So it, it promotes things like, you know, finding movement, what people call exercise. So the words again, very different, but important movement that you enjoy. Like what a concept, like my whole life, I have been in sports and in classes and at gyms my whole life. Like ever, I think the only thing I haven't done is maybe like curling. Like I don't live in Canada, so I've never tried curling, but I've tried everything else. And I've tried so many diets and all of that. I'm eating with um, listening to your body, listening to your body, which for the record, we naturally are born with this like internal communication between our brain and our body of what our body needs. It's going to be different for each person, but that's stripped away by those rigid diets that we all have probably tried and a lot of other things, including acknowledging diversity, like we talked about. So is it giving up in a way it's giving up diet culture, which is what we're taught. So it feels unnatural, but what's not natural is eating a restrictive punishing diet that was made as a like one breaststroke when we're all so diverse and 
that actually is the thing that's not quite natural, but we believe it is because we were raised in it. Um, and kind of going back to having a relationship with our body and our brain. And I'm sure we'll dig into how keto fits into all of that because it does actually, but that's kind of what health at every size is. And with that, what's really hard is you have to accept the fact that your body might not look like a model's if you actually listen to it. And that's really hard. That's a hard thing to sit with. And yeah, I think, you know, giving up on that, we are, we're, we're taught, we're taught essentially that when we become thin and perfect, we will find happiness. And so we invest our entire lives, all of our money, all of our energy, everything towards that goal. I know I did for well into my mid twenties. And so to let go of that is really hard. But the reality is that being thin will not make you happy necessarily. It will totally gain, it will like give you some access into different parts of our culture, right? Because thinness is still surprised, but it's not necessarily, you hear a lot of people who lose a lot of weight and they still have that same self-hatred. So it's, it's a thing we could talk 20 hours about, but it is hard to let go of that promise um, that may or may not come true depending on what your body is naturally like. I hope you're totally digging this episode. I love putting these together every week and I hope you're getting something out of it. I love seeing where you're listening from. So next time you're listening or even right now, take a picture of yourself watching the show or a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram at healthful pursuit. And if social isn't your thing, that's totally fine. Just jump on your favorite podcast player and leave a review for the show. Okay, back to the good stuff. I know that I was most fearful of the emptiness of like, but if I don't do this, I mean, it's my entire identity. I'm a runner, you know, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm a this, that, and the other thing. How, how will I show up in the world without this? And there's a quote from your book. I don't even know if you remember writing this because I know with my books, I never remember writing anything. It's kind of all a blur. And what really struck home for me was health at every size is is about healthy behaviors and it's all about behaviors. And when I, when I heard that on the audiobook, I was driving, I'll never forget where I was. I'm like, whoa, drop the mic. I understand this. I, I can get, I, I understand this. I have so many unhealthy behaviors. Like when I want a snack, I, clo- I lock the door on the pantry and I eat in the dark. What's up with that? <laughs> like, that- yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's such a great example. You know, I've, I've done a lot of of research myself. I've been to a lot of retreats, a lot of workshops. And one I recently went to was centered around binge eating, which I find very interesting because we talk a lot about anorexia as a eating disorder, but this, but never, we, we prescribe it to fat people as, you know, like a solution, which is really fucked up. But I went to one on binge eating disorder and, and it was just so fascinating to hear like the neurobiological reasons for binging and it is restriction. And, you know, they do studies with, with children. And if you deny them something, they will go find it because that's our body's internal cues telling us there's kind of this danger. And so that's just a very natural reaction. So when we restrict, we then have this compulsive and we 
label that as like negative, right? We don't have control over ourselves, but hi, we're like human beings and we're mammals and we have survival instincts. Um, we have this compulsive need to then, to then compensate for what we're taking away. And it's going to happen no matter what. So then people get kind of caught in that cycle of eating in the dark and then feeling terrible about it and more self-flagellation and, you know, and, and ultimately if you wanted to look at this from a health perspective, you're really just fucking up your body's internal cycle because you're depriving of everything and then, and then filling it. And it's like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do with all of this, you know, food. Not that that's bad, but you know, if we really wanted to look at it from a, sustainable way you know that really isn't necessarily the best thing for us now as someone who is a fat person works with fat people um i want to be very clear that there's no shame in any of this um and and to be quite honest and people have a hard time kind of accepting this all of those behaviors and feelings and every single part of this very complicated conversation none of it is our fault and i think that's really important for people to know we've been socially conditioned to believe that if we behave in some sort of way it is our fault but ultimately we've been non-consensually handed this belief system that destroys us mentally and physically and that's not our fault i actually think that people who are looking to heal their relationship with their body and their brain are superheroes because that's a, i mean that takes resiliency and a lot of work to deal with something that you didn't ask for. So I want to be very clear that I don't find any shame in binging. I don't find any shame in eating disorders. I don't find any shame in anything related to our bodies because we're all just doing what we need to do to survive. Yeah. Beautifully said as somebody who had anorexia and bulimia for over two decades, I can understand that shame that you're talking about of, of even being honest, you know, I, I'll never forget the day that I told everyone, Hey, so I'm a nutritionist and I throw up every day. You know what I mean? Like that's, right. that there's so much shame around that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge for people to go beyond that and understanding, you know, this, it was handed down to me, a lot of this stuff and unpacking that and, and making it your full-time job, just trying to figure it all out and figure your body out. Back to today's episode in a sec. One of the major questions I get about bone broth is like, how the heck do I incorporate it into my daily lifestyle? So we are going to be talking about how I drink bone broth. I know it sounds super simple, but like so many questions. So if you don't know what bone broth is, basically it's it's the broth that comes from simmering grass-fed animal bones for a really long time to extract the collagen, glycine, and a ton of body-loving nutrients that you really only get from bones. So a lot of people want to know, like, how do I drink the good stuff? What do I do with it? How do I incorporate it into my life? Tell me all your secrets. They are really good questions. And honestly, bone broth is so versatile that there's a lot of things you could do with it. So let's go into a few of these possibilities now. Probably the simplest way to drink bone broth is just to cook some on the stove, pour it into a mug and sip. 
just like it was coffee. You can add a little bit of sea salt in there. You could add some lard, some coconut oil, some leftover bacon grease if you want to get kind of crazy. I do this as part of my own morning routine, and it's a delicious, relaxing, and uh, nourishing experience. I just, I love it. I look forward to it. And when I'm out of bone broth, I get really sad because there ain't no way I'm making it myself. <laughs> and of course, another way you can enjoy it is just cooking with it. Any recipe that calls for chicken or beef stock, you can replace with bone broth. Or if it calls for water, put bone broth in it. Or when you're basically cooking anything, just like cook it in bone broth. <laughs> I always have an open carton of bone broth in the fridge at all times and I cook with it. And even when I'm traveling, I bring it with me. I mean, there's just so many options. If you want to try bone broth yourself, my friends at Kettle and Fire have put together a really special offer for you. You can get 15% off Kettle and Fire bone broth when you get six cartons or more. Plus you'll get free shipping when you head on over to kettleandfire.com slash keto podcast. So again, that's kettleandfire.com slash keto podcast. You'll get an instant 15% off discount on your entire order when you order six cartons or more. Plus you'll get free shipping. Bone broth fits so well within the keto macro profile. It truly is the most potent of all superfoods delivering important micronutrients and the healing power of collagen. Again, that's kettleandfire.com slash keto podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. Okay, back to today's episode. Now, just for women listening that are like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a lot of work. Leanne just said it was a full-time job. What have you seen? Because you've worked with so many women and you've been on tour a bunch of times and you're really active in the community. When people take out that, that ginormous amount of energy um, with dieting and, and, and body hate and shaming and they have this empty void, what have you seen people fill it with? Like, what are some of the most beautiful stories of people that moved beyond that and filled that, that void, that yucky void with something amazing? I don't think it's quite that simple. Okay. I think that here's what's going to sound very scary to people. Okay. I'm going to describe something that might sound terrifying, but this is a very natural reaction and I liken it. So I was was raised Mormon um, up until like I went to a Mormon university, so I was like the best Mormon. And when I left Mormonism, I swung a full 180 to being like a party girl hipster that tried all the drugs in back alleys and had all the sex and drank all the vodka, right? Because those were all forbidden things to me. Again, kind of the restriction and then binging, that's totally what it is. That is a normal thing to happen. So when you've been dieting and you find out that that is a, a scam, I mean, we can go back historically. I know you read things that will tell fat girls. So we can go back historically and connect all the dots of, of, of why we're so obsessed with diet culture. Um, has, spoiler, it has a lot to do with the U.S. economy. And I'm really sorry to international listeners, because if you are experiencing anything like the obsessive diet culture that we have in the U.S., we gave it to you. Like, Sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> we perfected it and then like just gave it to the world. So I'm sorry. We're working on fixing it. <laughs> but there is this thing that happens that's very normal that we don't talk about. And it's something I, I talk about in depth. There's a whole chapter dedicated to this in Land Whale, which is my my latest book that came out in May, my second book. And 
Deb Bogard works a lot within the health at every size world. Um, she's brilliant. And she kind of has this analogy that really speaks to me. So if you can imagine a pendulum, and there is this on my Instagram stories. So with, you know, gifts, because visuals are fun. But we have diet land on one side. And I'm, I'm glad that some people get to see this video. But imagine like, we have diet land on one end. And then we have what you can call donut land on the other end. And donut land is the fuck you land. It's <laughs> I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, no matter what. And it's a big middle finger to diet culture. And so what normally happens, we don't talk about this, is it's very natural to swing from one very drastic, restrictive, deprivation-based <laughs> um, world to the opposite, where for me, it looked like all the macaroni and cheese I wanted in the world, no matter what, for breakfast. Like I was so into it. And we have to kind of do that. And that's scary to people because that feels out of control. But what you're doing is you're balancing out those years of other learned lies. And so I never want people to feel like they need to leave donut land because that's Diet culture is a choice and then it's not a choice. Like it's just so reinforced and it's like in us on a cellular level. I don't think people realize how much we internally like hold beliefs and feelings and you know, the fight, flight, freeze plays into diet culture. So donut land is more of an individual decision, which it's a rebellious act and I love it. And this is kind of complicated to talk about with fat people because I believe that everyone should be able to live in donut land for as long as they want forever. Like buy a condo, like the oceans are made out of milkshakes. It's amazing. But what I then realized after living there for so long is that some of my personal, I can only speak for myself, but some of my personal decisions were based on reactions to diet land so it wasn't completely autonomous when i was making some decisions it was just so i could give a middle finger to what i had learned and that wasn't true autonomy that wasn't my true decision it was still being influenced by diet culture and i was like oh my god there's got to be something in the middle so there's diet land and donut land and what deb calls in the middle discernment and that is where it's a very gray area and you could, it could be anywhere along the pendulum. And it's really scary. And I thought it was kind of, that was a trick for a while. I was like, discernment, that's like a lifestyle change, which is just another diet. Um, but discernment is really hard. It's really hard because you, you have to figure that sh the lifetime work. It's the lifetime work. You have to replace being told how and what to eat and being able to you know, in diet culture, we love to be able to count and have physical proof of our good behaviors. In discernment, there's no boxes to check off. There's no way to, to prove to people that we're doing really hard work. And it's all about then in discernment, it's all about listening to our body, reconnecting our brain and our body and healing that relationship so that we can actually listen to what, what our body and our brain wants and needs. And it's really important to include brain in this because what people often, and what we do in Western society is we separate still, it infuriates me, our brain and our body. And we don't, as if they're not like 
absolutely connected and and like work together right um we have psychiatrists and we have you know doctors um that so we, we treat them separately but they're so connected and so sometimes food choices and this is very natural it's like talking about emotional eating emotional eating is totally natural um and it looks different for people and that's hard to accept too right because we want clear boundaries but here's what i will tell you healing happens in the gray and discernment and you know so where do i live i live all along this pendulum it depends sometimes it's directly in the middle sometimes it goes a little this way sometimes it goes a little this way but that's a very natural reaction so what do you do with all of that energy that you used to spend in dieting you spend it trying to figure out what the fuck you actually need and it's hard um but it's worth it because for me i did diet i tried dieting obsessively right for the majority of my life and i list in landwell all not all uh a chunk of the many diets i've tried since i was 13. and so i know that that doesn't bring me happiness i know that it fucked up my metabolism and i know that it stole years of happiness from me and so if i'm gonna spend energy somewhere it's gonna be working towards connecting my brain and body learning to listen to myself and again um like you said working on those behaviors because the behaviors are the beautiful part and that's why i always mention mental health because that's kind of where the magic lies mm -hmm. okay yeah. done i love it i i bought a one-way ticket to donut land and i lived there for a while and it was fabulous <laughs> it's so delicious it's yeah. so delicious and i don't want anyone to feel like um i am judging them or telling them where and how to live the reason i came on this podcast um and i am i love that you and i have a lot of like same beliefs which is very fun but the reason i came on this podcast is not to be like i know how to live and this is what you should be doing really i'm my purpose in life is to in a world where we believe that you can only exist one way i'm here to educate people on the alternate options because what I believe is that not that we need to take away things, we need to add more. That's also, uh, that applies to a lot of things, but I want people to have all the information, all of it, every single option out there in the world so that, that this is the whole point, right? So that you can make your own decisions based on what's best for you. That's why I'm here. So, so when you hear me talk about these types of things, there might be resistance towards it. There is truth in it. And people have found that. But I'm also not telling you what to do. And I'm not saying you're a bad person, depending on wherever you live. It's all highly individualized as it should be. And I just want people to know about all the options. Yes. And you're so good at that. So can we just take a moment and say, like, thank you for making this your life mission because you know i think when you're behind the laptop and you're writing books and you get so in the zone and i know i was i was following your insta stories i think you went somewhere to write your second book and you like stayed there until it was done sort of thing i was just watching little tidbits oh, of it. i tried i tried multiple things i locked myself in a horrible motel that yes. did not work okay um i wrote some of it in jamaica that didn't really work that well <laughs> but it was far more enjoyable, beautiful, to say the least. Um, but really, it's just a lot of head banging and crying on your keyboard at home. Yes. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I know glamorous. the feeling. I know the feeling, you know, in the fetal position in the corner, like, why did I agree to this? <laughs> yeah. 
shit, I already spent the money. I yes. have to write this book. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's not glamorous and it's not really fun, but it, it's, it's worth it. And I love books um, because I feel like we can have whole conversations within them. And we live in such a fast paced, you know, our news cycle is like, if you, if, you know, you always hear like news cycles, 24 hours. I feel like it's five minutes. So we live in a world where information is passed along so quickly and blog posts are great, but I love having the chance to have a whole conversation and with things like this, it's so complex that you really do need 60,000 words at least to talk about it. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. And we'll link yeah. to both of your books. I've read both of them. They're amazing. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Oh, great. I'd love to pick your brain on, you mentioned a little bit of listening to your body and what your body and brain need. So um, in my process, and I can't speak to anyone else or maybe what the process quote unquote should be, or maybe I did it incorrectly. I'm not sure, but I, I bought that one way ticket to donut town. I stayed there for a while. And then I kind of found that gray area where I went back and forth. And that's when I determined after eating candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a very long time, I realized that didn't make me feel so good. Like my brain was all weird. My emotions were all over the place. I started dealing with a lot of inflammation. I was really itchy. So then I started slowly discovering that, the, that eating more fat and less carbohydrates felt really good in my body. And so yeah. I started you know, doing that and eating more of that. How do we, like, what are your feelings about using food to help just support our bodies as opposed to using food to change our bodies? Like, what's your thought on that? You are really good at this question lobbying. Like, it's amazing. These are great questions. I want to maybe ask you if there was some aspect in the beginning of eating candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that made your brain feel happy. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I just want to, like, point that out real fast. That um, maybe, like, eating candy isn't sustainable because nutrients are needed for our body eventually, right? But there is a part of you that needed that. And I think it's important to honor that for however long that lasted. Um, I feel like that's a really important part that was probably, I'm going to make an assumption, but a really important part of your healing process. Huge. Um, yeah. Because how could you possibly know what it was like to eat candy? And if maybe that's what you really needed until you tried it you know? So I just want to honor that part of your journey. And then um, I'm going to reiterate that people can stay in donut land forever. And, and sometimes, whew, I just really want to acknowledge the trauma that comes with the diet culture that tells you you are nothing unless you are our beauty ideal. And that's where it gets real complicated. And I'm going to need you to repeat the question in a minute. So I hope you remember it because I just want to draw this out very quickly. It's not as easy as, and I wrote about this in Land Whale, and I've actually evolved a lot since Land Whale. People don't realize it takes a long time to write a book, and then you spend like a year editing it. And by the time it's done being edited, you're a totally different person. Yeah. So um, when I wrote Land Whale, I still hadn't figured this out, how to live in that discernment. I just knew it was an option. And now I have done enough healing work to be able to. I call it food variation to alter what I eat in order to honor my body's cues and needs and also my brain's cues and needs because food is not just fuel. Food is a lot of things. It is fuel and we do need it. And it does affect, um, of course, 
you know, how our body runs and how our brain runs, but it's, it's not just simply fuel. I think that is just way too one dimensional. Um, it serves a lot of other purposes too. So I am now able to live in the discernment area, but that only came after five years. I taught and teach health at every size and reframe health for people. Like I've spoken at over 80 universities and events, and that is always part of it. Like I logically understood it, but implementing it is such a different story because we have so much trauma around food and movement. And so I want to respect that as well. It's not just as easy as being like, well, I was in diet land and then I tried donut land. Now I'm just going to be in discernment. Like, no, there is like so much healing work that has to happen to feel safe there because there, and I'm going to use all the mental health language, but there are triggers everywhere. And so it took me five years of logically understanding to be able to even kind of implement. So your question was, Give it to me again, because I don't want to butcher it for you. Yeah. So how do you know what your body and brain needs and how do we exist in the space of discernment with food and our bodies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another 20 hour conversation. Yeah, I know. Um, they're so loaded. <laughs> it takes time and a lot of what we would deem failures. I also know that we learn the most from failures. That was something that I wrote about in my last newsletter was you know, we learn the most when we fail. And that's just the human condition. So it takes a long time. And it takes a lot of trial and error. And we have to do a lot of emotional healing. I had to, for, I'm trying to think for me what it was that changed. I think it was making food neutral. Um, so I have PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. There's a lot of symptoms that come along with that. Um, and it's just incredible to me that one in five I think the research is one in five women have it. I don't like that because that's just assuming that they're all cisgender women, but probably like at least one in five people with ovaries have it. Um, and yet it's something that we don't know a ton about. They just now in 2018 figured out why it happens, even though we've been aware of it forever. Um, and it's not something my doctor ever taught me about, but society told me it was my fault. This is the amazing part to me. And I promise this ties in. So here are some symptoms. Um, infertility is often something that comes with it. It's, it's a, there's hormones involved. So testosterone, there's like hair growth, you know, on your face, um, maybe on your back. There's also thinning hair on your head. It's just like a lot of like body stuff, a lot of weight gain, and it makes it very hard to lose weight. It's an, it's a very interesting experience. And what changed for me, I think, was sitting with this concept of changing behaviors for five years <laughs> and working with a non-diet dietitian, uh, Dana of Be Nourished. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Be Nourished, but they're wonderful. And kind of taking the punch out of food, taking the good and bad out of food and making it just food. Uh, that was really important. And then the next level was sitting down with another, this is funny, another dietitian uh, in Vermont at a place called Green Mountain, who sat down with me for an hour and another person and said, what do you know about PCOS and what do you want to know? And we said, nothing. And we want to know everything. And she was able to explain exactly what's happening inside my body. 
and the insulin resistance and like, you know, so I want people to realize that what we've learned about bodies is often quite backwards, especially about fatness and bodies. People up until this point, most people believe that uh, PCOS is something that happens because you're fat, but the reality is that it's absolutely 100% undeniably hereditary and it causes weight gain. So we have that backwards. And then people want to believe that, you know, because we're fat, then we get diabetes. But actually, it's insulin resistance is part of PCOS. And when it goes untreated, untalked about, undiagnosed, all of these things, it can develop into diabetes. So you have a bunch of fat women who have diabetes, and we look at them and we're like, it's your fault. But really, it's our medical system that's failed us because we have no idea what's actually happening. So to learn what was happening inside my body and like what foods would help level out these like huge, you know, crashes and spikes and crashes was so transformative because it wasn't about weight anymore. It was about balancing my system inside of me. And that's a completely different experience. So I often describe if I had to like make health at every size a two sentencer, which it shouldn't be. And if you want to read more about it, highly recommend body respect over the health at every size book because it's more conversational and has the same information. Body respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Affermore. But if I had to summarize it, it's treating your body well because you care about it, not because you want to change it. And that's where the behaviors come in. And once, and you know, I also just wrote an article for Ravishly. It's also on my blog if people want to read it. And it's titled, if you want to talk about physical health, we're probably going to talk about mental health first. Instead of explaining all of that to you, we'll just send readers there and they can go read it. But there's a really good reason why the behaviors and the mental health aspect are so important. Mm-hmm. And so to chat a tiny bit about keto, I know we're running out of time. You mentioned like, I know a little bit about keto. Um, can, can we kind of delve into, cause I know for keto specifically, because we're balancing our blood sugar and I specifically do it because I just feel better mentally. It also helps with the shakiness that I used to get all the time with my hypoglycemia and things like that. Do you feel like, like you mentioned approaching the way you feed your body from a place of kindness and, and, and healing that, what am I trying to say? Setting the intention of eating higher fat could be beneficial for some people. I, I mean, I like to call my podcast and my book, I like to use the word diet just to like grab people and then be like, psych, I hate this word. Let's, let's unpack this. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even like to yeah. use it. I don't like saying it. But it's like eating more fat and respecting that, like you mentioned before, that ebb and flow of your body. Like when I'm ovulating, I have a completely different outlook on food and what I'm eating, what I'm eating, what I'm doing, the movement that I do, as opposed to when I'm the first day of my period. So with women, we have that ebb and flow and we need to respect that. But where Mm -hmm. do you feel that fits in? Where do you feel like keto fits in? Do you feel like it fits in? Do you like to use that word? (laughs) So I think that's, yes, I think keto is relevant and that's why I'm here to talk about how important words are again I totally respect your use of the word keto diet because I that's people know that word we know yeah (laughs) whether we want to or not we all know about the keto diet because it is the hottest thing 
right now. And it's really funny to me because I wrote for Self Magazine. Also something I think we should look. I, okay, I'm going to just send you all the links. And Do you're it. Just gonna share yes. it. But I wrote uh, publicly, not just in my book about the diets I've tried since I was 13, a few of them. And I got so many messages from people that were like, oh, you're so ridiculous. Because when I was a teenager, slim fast was all the rage, right? And so they're like, you're so ridiculous. You should try keto. And like, you just haven't tried the right diet. And that's what we're always told. Yes. And so, you know, I kind of roll my eyes when that stuff happens. But here's the reality. Keto works for some people because we're, it doesn't work for everyone. Let's just like say that. Yes. It, works for, it works for some people. It doesn't work for everyone. There's two fundamental definitions of diet. And I think it's really important. And like, this is like Merriam-Webster shit. Like there's the diet. That's the kind of food that people, animal communities habitually eat, right? So like our general diet as a whole. And then there's diet, which is by definition, restricting oneself to small amount or special kinds of food in order to lose weight, in order to become smaller. Those are the two definitions. The first one, so is just, so neutral and like we all eat something so therefore we all have a diet that we eat uh, the second one is where it becomes problematic because if our focus is on shrinking our body we're not actually listening to our body we are it reminds me of those flat tummy lollipops the anti-suppressant oh ones. my gosh don't even get me started <laughs> yeah and if your body is saying i'm hungry it's probably hungry hungry <laughs> yeah so i trust my body more than I trust a lollipop and I we've just been taught to not trust that that feeling and be like body you're wrong you're not actually trying to like keep me alive you're trying to trick me and so we lose the trust in ourselves and in our body I think that keto is fascinating if we're going to go back to words I say keto like keto based eating that's what I say because there is and there's multiple types of keto right so ketogenic uh, eating is buried. So let's acknowledge that too. It's not just this like really popular one trend. I would recommend that people experiment with food. Um, that's what I talk about in the self article is collecting data, like asking, here's a wild like experiment for someone to try. Ask yourself what you want to eat. When you're hungry, ask yourself. Like we don't even know how to do that. And so it's so scary, but try that first. Ask yourself that. I would, I just would love people to experiment and then experiment with a keto, a keto based eating style. Style, we'll say style. Because even those, you know, they, you know, within keto, there's like the healthy fats, right? Even certain ones of those won't work for everyone. So there's, there's exploration within that. And what I, what I try to do is I try certain things, I ask my body what it wants, and then I eat those things. And then I take note of how I feel. <laughs> do I feel great? Cool. That's something that works for me. Does it make me feel shitty? That doesn't work for me. And it's a very neutral process of data collection. And I feel like you can do that. And for some people that looks like keto based eating. And I know that it really helps. It was created in the 20s for epilepsy in children. I think it's really dangerous when we start to use one format fits all. But I think that 
of course there's something within this that is going to help a lot of people and make them feel good. I just want people to ask themselves, does this feel good? And if so, like, I'm really happy for you that you figured out something that makes your body feel good and your brain feel good. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so, if I, if I could tell myself five years ago that I'd be chatting with you on a video conference sort of thing. And I'd be like nodding my head in agreement of like, yeah, yeah girl, <laughs> like it's just so crazy how, how much can change in such a short period of time. And I think if, if I can be in a space where I'm understanding what you're saying and I'm practicing all of these things and going back to five years when I was a hot mess with food, like it's possible for people. Same. To, like Same. hot mess. Just mm -hmm. a hot mm -hmm. mess. So I'd like to finish off today by asking you, what do you feel is missing in the health at every size body acceptance space right now? Like what what do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? What do you think is, is needed most? Uh, this is kind of controversial and uh, something that I talked about in Land Whale purposefully because I wanted to be able to write it out very carefully. But I feel like I would love to see all of us. We're all very wounded by what we've been taught about our worth in relation to how we look. I at first was like really shocked that I was going to be on video because it was so early here. And I was just like, sure, I'll just like put my dirty hair up and like whatever. But I'm actually really glad because we often expect fat people to perform hyper femininity, right? So like people who are going to be watching this video and for those who are not, I'm not wearing makeup. I'm wearing glasses and have like sleep eyes. Um, it's good for people to see me this way, I think, because it really challenges what we feel is acceptable. So what would I change is I would, I would really want all of us who are wounded, who might see me and think one thing and see someone else and have a completely different opinion of them. I want all of that woundedness. I hope that we can kind of heal ourselves to the point where what other people are doing doesn't affect us as much as it does. And that's really a, a complicated ask because we didn't ask for this trauma. We didn't ask for this fucked up perspective on the world. But what I, what I see happening is people making decisions, whether I agree with them or not, people making decisions and then being blasted for them. I'm thinking of celebrities who have like weight loss surgery, for example, that is medically very harmful for your body and has really tragic effects for a lot of people that we don't talk about because we see it as a solution. But I do believe in people's autonomy and being able to make those decisions. So what I would love to see is for us to work on ourselves and heal our brains and how we, how we, what we place our worth in. And spoiler, it shouldn't be our bodies. <laughs> that is the one thing I will say um, is that you know, our bodies are, are more than just ornaments and they are more than just the way they look. They do a lot of things. I would love to see us work on healing our brains so that we can look at other people and feel neutral about their decisions. And I think what that will do is just create a more holistic space for us all to exist in. It's natural to, to feel very and, and, you know, we're allowed to feel however we want about what people do, you know, like when, when you're surrounded by diet culture and you're told that restriction and exercise to the point where it's not 
really actually great for your body is the way to go. These things like people making decisions or, you know, talking about their diets will be triggering. And we have the absolute right to be like, not in my space, but also just being like, that can be in your space. I want to succinctly wrap this up. Maybe you can summarize it for me. What do you hear me saying? Reflect back, <laughs> reflect back to me what you hear. Yeah. So what I hear is something that I've noticed in the body positivity, quote unquote, space. Um, Which is so vast and multidimensional. Yes, completely. Yeah. Is yeah. a lot of pictures of people dressed up, looking, you know, having makeup on and, and looking good, but they have different bodies. And what I'm hearing from you is that's not necessarily the whole picture and that it's good for us to see ourselves in various spaces, whether our hair is in a side ponytail over here, we're not wearing makeup, (laughs) we have bags under our eyes because I don't know, we ate pizza yesterday or we didn't have a good sleep or whatever. Or Um, we didn't sleep. Or we didn't sleep. (laughs) Exactly. And just that, that natural piece and something that I took away from what you said too, is the deeper you go in this, and this is what I'm working on right now, the more neutral you are around other people. Thank Um, you. Yes. Yeah. That's what I ultimately want. And that only comes from us doing healing work. And it's really hard because a lot of times the the people who, and this is something I've talked with a lot of people who do this work as well, of varying body shapes and sizes. A lot of times that's really hard because the professionals that we're working with are also biased, right? So what do we do when the people who are supposed to be helping us are actually harming us? So I think it's a community-based healing, which is also complicated because we're all wounded and triggered and having a hard time and trying to figure this shit out, you know? So we're kind of in this very tumultuous space, but we also need to be able to heal ourselves and then help heal others while respecting everyone's right to choose what they do with their body. And I'm just going to say you need to probably read Land Whale if you want to know a little bit more about that because I am way more succinct and eloquent than I am early in the morning in that book. Um, but yes, I think those I think those two things are very important and they are layered. One is on top of the other. If you dig a little deeper, we get to the autonomy. Totally. Yes. Amazing. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast. This was so great. <laughs> oh, bless you for letting me ramble. I appreciate you're a wonderful listener. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 